Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. Today we will be beginning Book 1 of the Ascension edition of Confessions. This bonus episode is an introduction to the reflections that you'll hear for the next few days. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com slash support. Let's get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, here we are. We've gotten through our introductory episodes, uh, and now we're, we're beginning. Well, tomorrow we'll begin, but we're beginning the beginning of reading the Confessions by St. Augustine. It's exciting to kind of kick things off. Father Gregory, how are you feeling? You ready to go? Oh, yeah. I am uh, I'm pumped, and I'm excited. So if there's a compound word for being pumped and excited, I, I suppose it'd be like pump-sided, but I don't think that that'll ever get taken up by the youth. So I'll just say I'm both pumped and excited. Yeah, especially when you use the word the youths or like young people <laughs> in an address or a sentence, it's never going to get picked up. So we're going to avoid that. We're not going to do anything there. Um, but hopefully the confessions will get picked up by all people, the youths <laughs> and young people together. So here we go. All right. So our time together today, we're going to give, as I've said, a kind of overview of the themes, the the sort of storyline, if, if you want to think of it that way, of what we're going to encounter in book one. And then over the next, um, I think, four days that we've broken down book one, we'll, we'll dive into the particulars of, of the chapters as they come, as they're divided. But today is kind of a big kind of 5,000 foot view of book one, of starting out with the confessions, um, of the introduction to St. Augustine's life, why we're even you know, why he's writing this. We're just going to start from the beginning and and we'll get ourselves situated so that way we can we can cruise through book one and its parts coming up. So overview of book one. Um, I think the, the theme that we're going to return to, not just in book one, but throughout the entirety of the confessions is that of sanctity, of holiness. I mean, it's the story of Augustine's conversion really told through his life, you know, and as we've talked about in some of the some of the previous episodes, uh, Augustine writes the Confessions at sort of his, his midpoint in life around around 40 years old. So reflecting on that. So the Confessions begin, I think, and this is a good way to kind of situate what we're going to read. The Confessions begin by highlighting, I think, the reality of, of sanctity, of holiness of a saint. And that's, that's that the saint radiates, reflects, brings to bear in the world Christ. You know, we see aspects of Christ in our own kind of unique and particular ways through the saint. And Augustine draws us into that in his own life. So preliminary thoughts about 
what we're getting into, what we're looking at, why Gustin's writing, Father Gregory, any any thoughts on that or any other kind of way to kind of situate ourselves as we crack open the book? Oh, yeah. I think it's cool that it's often remarked that St. Augustine begins, if not all the books, many of the books with a prayer. At the very least, he begins it as a an address, a direct address to the Most High God or to Christ. And in one way, he's seeking for greater clarity or greater insight into his own life, but he also knows that that doesn't matter too terribly much if there's not someone with whom he can have this conversation and to whom his life is directed. So I think that you get a feel for the quality of his sanctity in that it's very interpersonal and that it has all of these rich kind of physical, emotional, and psychological elements, but the depth of it is reflected in the intensity with which he prays, the directness with which he prays. So I think it's good to just be thrown in the deep end as you hear him give vent to his his heart's aspirations to the Most High God. Yeah, and in, in opening the Confessions and reading it, the, the fir- very first paragraphs and lines give us some of the most noteworthy like Christian Catholic quotes, I think, of of all time, and we're going to encounter these as we get into the chapters and coming episodes. But one of the things is, as Father Gregory mentioned, the the prayers or the sort of yeah way by which Saint Augustine begins each chapter in the Confessions in itself, and, and Book One even with this prayer. The prayers often include a large amount of praise to God or thanksgiving. That of course is part and parcel of sanctity of holiness to thank God and to recognize the gifts that God gives and you know most especially his mercy and drawing sinners to himself we have this great line great art thou o lord and greatly to be praised it just begins the whole thing and situates what it means for augustine to be recounting his life in in this sort of lest i dive into sort of cliches immediately which i will uh, this sort of attitude of gratitude <laughs> that oh, yeah. situates the reality of Augustine's life. But another thing that comes up, and again, all these themes will get, it's not just book one, but it comes up in book one, they, they carry through, is the question of, of desire and desire and longing for God, like where the human heart is. And as we've talked about and continue and will continue, Augustine is, we could call him like an intense lover of things and he loves well and and loves poorly at different points in his life. But it, this this theme, this reality for St. Augustine of this desire for God, and we have this sort of quintessential line, you know, for thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. This restlessness of heart moving towards God, it's there right in the beginning of book one, but uh, yes, yeah, says a lot about the human person, about who we are, not just St. Augustine. Thoughts, Father Gregory? Yeah, I think that different saints draw out different excellences in God, because each of us as creatures is limited, and so we're not going to be able to say everything that there is to be said about God, because if we could, then we'd be God, and then we'd be polytheists, and then there wouldn't be a God, and things would just be super problematic. So the saints all just bring out different elements of the divine life. And I think in, like you said, in St. Augustine, you have something of the divine zeal, something of the divine fervor. I like these books by an author named Louis DeWall, and uh, he wrote probably in like the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And the one about a St. Augustine is called The Restless Flame. So there is at the heart of his sanctity, a kind of whoosh, what would you call it? Just this insatiable desire, insatiable this side of eternity, this persistent desire for what's at the heart of his experience. And he's just honest enough in front of his experience to not permit himself to repose, like in places where he can't find rest. And so he's always pushing, straining, struggling with himself. There's just like a lot of movement and a lot of tension, a lot of frustration, a lot of excitement as a result. 
And uh, yeah, he already gives expression to that here at the outset, but we'll find him describing his relationship with God throughout the course of this work, especially in the first eight books. Yeah. Okay. So as we're opening book one, as we're getting ready to sort of see what's coming in, in the days that lie ahead of us, these two themes of sanctity, of praise, of prayer, this desire for God, they, they kind of hit us right away. So get ready for that, get prepared for that. And I also think in your, as you're reading St. Augustine, um, one of the things we're going to talk about through the course of the season is kind of like the relatability to St. Augustine, it, because he kind of jumps out or he kind of looms as a giant in, in the history of the church and the history of the world. But there's, through reading the confessions, you really see the man and the saint, but the man is St. Augustine. So it's good to reflect on how these things also, you know, prayer, praise, holiness, desire play out in your own life. So as we look at what comes in the chapters, let's do a little kind of brief kind of outline of what's to come. In book one, we get we get a sort of sketch of St. Augustine's early life, his infancy and his childhood. And in reading the confessions, when he talks about his infancy in those in those chapters, it's it's a little funny to me because he reflects on them as like a 40-year-old man. And he kind of, he talks about being an infant and sort of his relationship with his family and caregivers and and kind of his like desire for food and crying and all of that. And he attributes a lot of weight to those things in the sense of trying to understand how he's been made and what he's been made for. So I don't, and not wait in the sense that it's difficult to read or understand, but he reflects on it in a, in a weighty kind of way of his first kind of moments on earth. And yeah, the, I don't know if that struck you in any way, but his kind of first reflections on childhood, brokenness, desire for earthly things, all of that comes to us right away. Yeah. So I think sometimes we think about human reason as kind of an on off switch. It's like you're not really reasonable until you get to a certain age when you can receive your first Holy Communion and then you're reasonable. And then maybe, you know, like you suffer a traumatic injury at a certain point, or you gradually decline, and then it's just off. But I think that experience proves that it's more like, you know, we're, we're made to the image and likeness of God, so we have this power of human reason and the power of, um, you know, human choice that comes along with it, but it can come into more and less prominent expression. And certainly there are a variety of obstacles that can be posed to it, you know, like sin being one. When we sin, when we kind of accumulate vices in our lives, it makes it more difficult for us to think straight and for us to choose well. But also he's just like, you know, he's describing his own human development and how while he experiences reason at some level or reasoning back while, you know, like engaging with other children over the course of his life, you see reason have some play in the in the individual, yet it's not going to come to full expression because we're talking about like a baby here, or we're talking about like a a toddler or an adolescent or whatever. And it's just, just this for me is an excellent example of the depth of his psychological inquiry. St. Augustine is so sensitive to the slightest movements of the human mind, things that we pass over without comment, things that only can be revealed to us by one like him. It's like, I am from southeastern Pennsylvania, and I never really thought about myself as coming from a region, like a region with a character or temperament or particular, you know, strengths and weaknesses. I don't know how you'd describe it, but it was like leaving Pennsylvania, entering the order, and then coming back to visit. And it was especially with the help of an artist named Andrew Wyeth, who painted a lot of scenes from southeastern Pennsylvania, that I came to be like, whoa, I come from a place that's beautiful, that has a local flavor, that has a local color. And I think that St. Augustine can do something similar for our own interior states. His psychological acuity actually affords us certain tools uh, so that we can mine the depths of our own experience with greater efficacy. That's not to say that we need to be like, 
tortured in our self-examination or, or become you know steady navel gazers for the rest of our days. Uh, but he's not doing that. He's trying to sound the depths so as to expose it to the light, so as to bring it in conversation with God. Yeah, and this inquiry or like self-examination, again, not for like a, a sort of existential kind of just understanding, but a way by which to understand God's movement in his own life from the very beginning, um, carries over from his infancy and his early childhood in, in this first book into his, I guess, early education. So like his boyhood. So we get a, we'll get a sense of his love for some learning and disdain for others. We'll get a sense of how it is that his relationship with, with God and his understanding of God kind of begins a bit there's a bit you know he he receives a bit of catechesis his mother is is a catholic but then he's not baptized and there we begin to see a sort of sliding into into vice through vanity through lying cheating lust these sort of things as he grows in, in boyhood and in his teenage years one last thing that i want us to consider in this kind of introduction is the fact that saint augustine poses a lot of questions about God and about the created world. And we'll get this in the first eight books, and then we really get it again in his reflection on creation and, and Genesis and, and the second half or the, the latter half of the confessions. But Augustine, in his writing, in trying to understand, as Father Gregory was describing, who God is and who he is, poses a lot of questions. And this points to his great desire, again, if we want to use that word, or for knowledge, for wisdom. And we'll see this play out in different ways in his life, but um, this desire to know, and not in an abstract kind of speculative way, though he does do that, but to know God in himself as best as we can, you know? So he wants to know of God's mercy, of God's salvation, of why God loves, of how God loves. And he, he does this by posing a ton of questions, especially in these in these opening chapters in this first book. I don't know if you have any kind of thoughts there, just kind of set the stage, but it, it's striking as you read. There, there are a lot of questions, especially in the sort of prayer sections when he's not recounting biography, but when he's talking to or about God. Yeah, I think that it takes a certain kind of confidence to pose questions, because let's say that you're living a life of sin and vice, and while the world might seem pleasant and pleasurable on the one hand, it also begins to seem senseless and meaningless because you're just flitting from one experience to the next, and there isn't a lot of continuity between them. There's no real like narrative arc to your life. It's just a riotous chaos. And so there's no, there's no point to pose questions of your life because what's it going to yield? It's just going to yield more pleasurable and pleasant encounters, but underwritten by a kind of sadness and anger and alienation and isolation, which just devastates you from start to finish. Whereas with Augustine, now from this vantage, you know, we said at the outset that he's writing this sometime between 397, 398, maybe as late as 400. So like you said, like 40, 45, you know, he's in the middle of his life. He's encountered the Lord. He has a confidence that the Lord can speak to his experience and that reality is intelligible because at the heart of it, you can find Christ. So you're never going to be let down if in uprightness of heart, in honestness before your experience or in honesty before your experience, you pose questions to the Lord because while he might not come, you know, like with the response in propositional form, you know, in five seconds, yet in lodging those questions in heaven, you know, you have you have the surety that they're going to be answered in time within the setting of God's providence and ultimately unto ages of ages as you gaze upon him in whom all things, you know, have their sense and their meaning. There you have it. Book one, overview. Get excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I think Father Gregory's excited. Yeah, pump-sided. Isn't that what I said? Mm, 
<laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> so as, as we crack open the book, as we dive in a bit, what we're going to be quickly introduced to St. Augustine, what constitutes his ideas and his notions of what constitutes growth and holiness, his ideas and what constitutes desire for God, movement to and towards God, God drawing us to him. And as we go, because it's an autobiography, uh, a sort of privileged hindsight into St. Augustine's life, seeing how it is that God worked even from the very beginning, from his infancy, from his boyhood, his early education. So yeah, get ready, get reading, get listening. It's great. Thanks for tuning in. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. And we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Thank you.